Well, we're glad to have you. If you're from Nikiski, Kenai, Soldatna, Honduras, Costa Rica, wherever you're from, we're glad that here today, one voice, one body, one spirit, we can worship our one God together. We've been going through um, the book of 2 Corinthians as a, as a family. We've been calling this the autobiography of a bleeding heart. We've seen Paul in this epistle laid bare like we've never seen in any of the other writings that he has um, sent to churches before where he is just desperate, he is honest, he is just laying himself open for this church that he has had a rocky relationship with since day one. And the cool thing is God has used that to teach us so much about what it means to be a servant of God, what it means to be a believer through the life of Paul as he imitates Christ. This morning we're going to be looking at this passage in in chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to go there with us. We'll have the verses on the screen. As always, um, this this message is called Jars of Clay. We we have this treasure from God in jars of clay. And it's Christmas time, so it got me thinking about the manger. And, you know, I was thinking about it. We don't even know. Like, if it wasn't for Jesus, if it wasn't for Christmas, I wouldn't even know what a manger was. Right? Like, who would have ever, I mean, maybe the Martins, I don't know, but most, pe- most people never have any, I don't know what a manger is, what it's used for, right? Common, common day. And see, the thing is, it's not about the manger. Like, there's nothing significant. It's not like we're, like, man, that was such an awesome manger. Like, such craftsmanship. You know, like, the woodwork on that thing was beautiful. The way it just held Jesus right up. You know, we, we don't, it's not about the manger. The only impressive thing about the manger is that it's holding the Son of God. The only, the, the only, the, the manger had no business being the throne of God on earth. The, the only impressive thing is its ordinariness. You see, its ordinariness, the ordinariness of the manger was used to show where the power of God truly lie. Jesus didn't come in some golden carriage, you know, in a castle, all bedazzled and bejeweled. He came in this wooden box. So there'd be no mistake of what was to be glorified. Today, from, from the manger and from jars of clay, very ordinary things in our life today and then, we're going to learn three very simple yet very essential lessons of what it means to serve God, to follow Him. Lesson number one. It's about the treasure, not the vessel. It's about the treasure, not the vessel. Paul, we often think of the Apostle Paul and just kind of hold him up on this pedestal. What a dynamic guy, right? And this is the Apostle Paul. He's, he's an impressive guy. He is, he is one of the greatest ministers, one of the most famous Christians of all time. And yet if you read through the New Testament, all he really has to say about himself is how unimpressive he was. He talks about the fact that he had this eye, something going on with his eyes. It may have been that he was going blind, some kind of soreness. Some people believe that's what he was referring to in, uh, in chapter 12 about the thorn in his flesh. Some people say that this was a, an eyesore that was actually pretty hard to look at. Like Paul was, was kind of ugly looking because of this stuff going on with his eyes. We also see in other portions where he says that most of you aren't very impressed with my speech while I'm with you. 
that Paul really wasn't even that dynamic of a speaker? There's all these reasons that the Corinthians could have just dismissed Paul and rejected Paul. Not much to look at, not much to listen to. But here's where Paul turns the tables, and I love this. Instead of his weakness being a reason to reject him, these are the exact credentials that he uses for his ministry. When the false teachers attack Paul and they point to his flaws, he does one of the strangest things imaginable. He agrees with them. He says, you're right. That is exactly who I am. And this is what he says verse, in verse 7. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this treasure in jars of clay. And I say, what treasure? Well, back to grammar school. I know it's the Christmas break, guys. But this is word but. It's a conjunction. So it joins something to something else. So, but, this, we have this treasure. What treasure? Remember, two weeks ago, we read this verse, number, verse 6. It says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us, and here it is, here's the treasure, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Here's the treasure that we have. It's to know God in all of his radiant glory in the person of Jesus. And he says he's given us this, this in our hearts. If we are a believer, we have Jesus abiding within us, and it's through him that we know God in all of his splendor. And he says that God chose to shine that beautiful, magnificent, unimaginable treasure in jars of clay. In, and he's referring to our human bodies. These earthly, decaying flawed, well, you guys, um, human bodies. He says jars of clay, okay? There you go. Sorry, I had to get that out of my system. My world is a flood. Not that jars of clay, this jars of clay. The word he uses here is, is it was in that day, was a very common pot. It was a cheap Breakable, very replaceable, valueless, homely, ordinary pot. In fact, in those days, they didn't have sewage systems. And so these pots were often used as waste disposals for human refuse, for garbage. But on the other hand, these pots could also hold very valuable things. They could have gold and silver. They could have jewelry. They could hold important documents from the the government or from important leaders. In fact, that we know that the Dead Sea Scrolls, they were found years ago. They were found in the Qumran Caves from the Shepherd Boy. They were in these varied types of jars of clay. Some of the most important biblical manuscripts ever found. And here's the point. Just like the manger, the value of the pot had nothing to do with the pot itself. It had everything to do with what the pot held. You think about humans in this term, in in this light. Why did God use Mary, just some pregnant teenager, Joseph, this nobody, instead of Herod, Or Pilate? Why did God use Joseph and Moses instead of Pharaoh? Why would God use David 
the shepherd boy instead of the tall, handsome King Saul? Why would God use David instead of Goliath? Why? You remember the story of Gideon? Gideon's ready to go to battle with 32,000 men, and God says, mm-mm, got to downsize. Keeps shrinking the army down until there's only 300. He says, now we're ready for battle. And instead of swords or tanks or bazookas, he gives them, here's a, here's a trumpet, and here is a clay pot. So now go to battle. And they were victorious. Why does God, why is he so fascinated? Why does he seem so obsessed with using the weak things of the world? Paul tells us in verse 7. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. God does this. He uses weak things so that nobody has to guess where the power is coming from. See, God uses the weak to show that he's strong. Think about Moses and Paul, two of the most prolific writers in the Bible. Probably these two guys have been read more than anybody else in human history. Both of them were terrible public speakers, terrible communicators. God said, I'm going to use you. Think about Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. Abraham was a liar. He was this duplicitous man who kept saying, she's not my sister, don't kill me. Right? Right? How about, how about Moses? Moses is just this dude. He's just this shepherd. And he's got, Moses is a hot temper. Moses killed a guy before God used him. Okay? Not the cream of the crop. David, just some shepherd boy who is an adulterer and a murderer. That's a man after God's own heart? How about Peter, a fisherman? We don't have time this morning to cover all of Peter's flaws. Think of Paul. How did he get started? He started by persecuting the very church that God used him to be a minister to. Time and time again, God uses the weak. Throughout history, God doesn't primarily use the powerful, the slick-tongued, the good-looking. He's chosen a band of ragamuffins. See, God would rather use Mother Teresa or Helen Keller than a president or a Hollywood movie star. Paul says, yeah, I'm flawed. I'm flawed to the core. I'm a weak, cracked, mortal man. But what does he say? Fast forward eight chapters. He says, but he said to me, God is talking to Paul in regard to his thorn in the flesh. God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Why? For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul said, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says, if it's through weakness that I experience the power of God in my life, then bring the weakness on. He says, I will delight in that weakness. I will make much of this weakness. I will scream from the rooftops about my weakness if it's through that channel that God works in me and through me. 
So how does this apply to us? So often, I, I think we have a mentality as believers. We say, man, God can't use me. Like, I'm so ordinary. I'm so average. There's nothing distinguished about me. I, I, there's nothing significant about me. Like, that's, like, God's work is for the people who can play guitar like John or drums like Tim or can preach like Larry or can teach a Sunday school class or could be a missionary. We see God's concept of ministry so different than ours. God's focus is on the treasure, not the vessel. So the world, the world stresses the flashy container, not the glory of God in human weakness. People are not saved and people are not used by God because of their good looks, their public speaking skills, their eloquence, their genius. Paul says in Romans 1, it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. And he has placed that treasure in each of our hearts. We have everything we need to be used by God. So here's God's purpose. God's purpose is to get glory in all things. He wants to be glorified in it all. So how does he make sure that that happens? He does that by, make, by putting this treasure into us. The weak, cracked, flawed, mortal clay pot. Your ordinariness is not a liability. It's an asset. No one here is too common, too weak, too shy, too inarticulate, too disabled to do what God wants to do with your gift. Psalm 139 says that you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. He knit you in your mother's womb. He knows every hair on your head. He knows all the quirks of your personalities, all of your strengths and all of your weaknesses. He says, you're exactly who I made and you're exactly who I want to use. And yes, you are weak, but it is in your weakness that I show myself strong. And we just stand back and humbly watch God as he does amazing things through us, these ordinary people, because that's the method that he uses so that he will get all of the glory. It's about the treasure, not the vessel. Lesson number two. God allows his jars to be cracked, but not broken. God allows his jars to be cracked, but not broken. Paul says, in referring to his own cracking, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. How many of you want to start singing Trading My Sorrows? When we throw ourselves on the power of God and not our own, what we find is that we're invincible. We are invincible because nothing in this universe is stronger than the power of God. When we come to the end of our resources, we find God there waiting to give us his strength. And we are invincible. Paul says, I'm hard-pressed. This word means hemmed in on every side. It was this word picture of the, the walls closing in on Paul. He says there's this daily pressure where, where people, people were trying to kill Paul every single day of his life. I mean, they were after him because of this message that he was preaching. And then he said, on top of that, I have the pressure of the churches, of overseeing them and all the heartache that it does to try to herd these cats 
these, these believers and try to see them formed, made complete in, in Christ. He says, I'm hard-pressed. The walls are closing in, but I'm not crushed. Why was he not crushed? How did Paul know that he would not be crushed? Because there had been one that was crushed in his place. Isaiah, hundreds of years before, he prophesied it was the Lord's will to crush him, Jesus, and cause him to suffer. Jesus was crushed. Why? He says he was crushed for our iniquities. Jesus came to this world and was crushed in our place so that no matter how how much the walls are closing in, we know that he will not crush us, he will not finish us because he crushed his son in our place. He says, I'm perplexed but not despairing. Interestingly, these two Greek words, they're very, very similar. And one means despairing and the other one means totally despairing. He says, yes, we are despairing, but we are not totally despairing. He says, when I, I, I feel like I've been pushed to the very bottom. You can push me all the way down, but it's at the bottom that I will never be without hope because it's at that bottom that I find his strength. And, and we, in our lives, we despair. There is real heartache in the life of a human being. There is real despair in the life of a human being. We are lying to ourselves if we paint the smile on our face and pretend like everything's fine. It's not. But... We are not totally despairing. We do not despair like those who have no hope. There is hope, no matter how dark the night. It says we're persecuted, but not abandoned. Daily, Paul is, fe- is being beaten, being imprisoned, being stoned. But he says we're not abandoned. And why are we not abandoned? Again, because Jesus was abandoned for us. And on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did God turn his back on the sun? He turned his back on the sun momentarily to satisfy his wrath so that he would never turn his back on you and me. And that's why the author of Hebrews could say, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I forsook my son. I abandoned my son so that I would never have to leave you. And so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God will not abandon us, no matter how much persecution we face, no matter how many trials in our lives, we can know with all the certainty of God's word and his faithfulness to us that he will never leave us or forsake us. And Paul says, I'm struck down, but I am not destroyed. I am struck down, but I'm not destroyed. And Paul, I believe, you know, if you think about Jesus' words in Mark 8, in light of this, he says, forever wants to save his life will lose it. For whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. See, Paul understood that you can kill me. You can take my physical life away from me. But it's in our losing our lives that we find them. It's in the losing of our lives that we are saved. You can't touch Paul. He says, you can take my life, but my father will not abandon me. Nothing can touch my soul. Cracked, but not broken. So why does God then allow our jars to be cracked? Why does God allow our jars to be cracked? To answer that, we turn to our final lesson. Lesson number three. It's about the master, not the servant. 
It's about the master, not the servant. It's about the treasure, not the vessel. He allows our jars to be cracked and not broken. And it's about the master, not the servant. Some of you may know, um, there's, there's a man named Leonard Cohen. He is the the singer-songwriter, he's most famous for his song Hallelujah, popularized by the Shrek series. Um, the Hallelujah, Hallelujah, you know the song. But he wrote another song it's called Anthem. And in this song are some of the most beautiful lyrics that I've ever come across. And he says this, he says, Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. See, the reason God allows our jars to be cracked through our flaws, through our suffering, is because there's something he wants to show us. There's something he wants to show the world through us. And it's only visible through the cracks. What's the purpose? Paul tells us in verse 10. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. Why? So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. He says, our purpose is to magnify the Lord Jesus. To take this magnifying glass and to show the world how big and how beautiful and how sufficient he is. He says the way that he shines through us is through the cracks in our clay pots. The secret to this life is that it's not about us. It is not about us. It is about our master. And when our jar gets bumped, it's so that some of that treasure might spill out of us and into the lives of others. And when the jar gets cracked, so that he might shine through for the world to see. So what does it mean to carry the death of Jesus? He says we carry in our body the death of Jesus. What does that mean? I believe it means that, he says it's, it's not me that they want to kill. They don't have this vendetta against Paul. They have this vendetta against Jesus. It's because I'm a follower of Jesus that they hate me. Jesus said this. He predicted this. He said all men will hate you because of me. The reason that they persecute you is because they persecuted me. They're going to crucify you, Paul, because they crucified me. He said, don't be surprised when this comes. And imagine Paul waking up every day, sincerely not knowing if this would be his last. Is this the day I'm going to finally be murdered? And while there is certainly fear there for Paul, while there is legitimate despair there, he says it's okay because there's something bigger happening here. Christ is being magnified in my body. And while Paul is beaten and he's bruised, Jesus Christ's light is shining through him. How else do you explain what's happening? How else do you explain that thousands of lives are being changed through Paul, that millions of people throughout the years have come to know God because of the, the writings and the life of this tongue-tied, funny-looking man. Because God said, my power is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. I'm going to use you by my power. It's true of Paul, and it's true of us today. 
Then he says in verse 11, For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. For Jesus' sake. So that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. There it is again. It's all about him. And this word that was used for given over to death, it was, it meant, um, it was, it was the word that was used when prisoners were handed over to the executioner to, to, to die. It was also the word that was used when Jesus was handed over to his crucifiers. Believers throughout the ages, martyrs by the thousands, have been handed over to physical death because the world hates Jesus. The world hates the truth. Because if we need a savior, that implies that we are no good sinners. And if there is a creator, that implies that we are created and accountable to that creator. And the world, our flesh, does not like that. And so they hate him, and therefore they hate us. But the grander purpose of our suffering, of our death, is the magnifying of the name and the person of Jesus to the spiritually dying world. The most important feature of a useful vessel is its emptiness. Hear that. The most important feature of a useful vessel, a vessel that God can use, is its emptiness. Its availability. You see, God says, I can use a cracked jar. I can use a flawed jar. I can use a weak jar but I cannot use a full one. And when we fill our jar with self-righteousness, I'm good enough, self-effort, I can do it, self-importance, it's all about me, God says there's, there's no place for me to put the treasure. There's no room in here. And so we must empty the jar of, of, of self so that we can be filled to the brim with the sweeter wine of Jesus. This is what happened to us when we were saved. When we, when we, when we push, place our faith in Christ, yes, Jesus died for our sins to forgive our sins, but something else happened as well. We were crucified with Christ. In this process, this is what happened. Paul says this in Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. That old man was crucified with Christ and then put into the ground, buried there. Our sinful nature is gone. It was taken out of our jar of clay. And he says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Self removed, Christ replaced. It's a significant upgrade. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, now what's indwelling this jar of clay is no longer that sinful man, but the life of Jesus. And he says in verse 12, So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. This is the selflessness of Paul. He says, yes, I might be dying, but it's so that you might have life. This is the life that we are called to as a servant of Jesus. Philippians 2 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Imagine that, doing nothing in your life out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. He said, your mentality should be, I'm thinking about others, not myself. They're good. The, the, their life would, might be at work in them no matter what happens to me. Verse 4, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Others minded. And then he gives us the example that is above all other examples. The very life that's working within us. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He left his godness in heaven. Now, I know he was fully God and fully man, but stay with me. 
but made himself nothing. Interestingly, this is translated in other, in other versions, that he emptied himself. The very thing that we are called to do. Taking the very nature of a servant, the very thing that we're called to be, being made in human likeness, he became a fellow jar of clay, and in being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Death was at work in him, life at work in us. And why do we do that? So that Jesus might be magnified. And that is why Jesus did it as well. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Death at work in us for the sake of others and primarily for the glory of God. I had a friend in high school. His name was Brian. Uh, I think I've mentioned him before. I was uh, better friends with his younger brother, Stephen. We all played on the, on the same basketball team in high school. Brian was a senior when I was a freshman. We won a state championship together as I sat on the bench and cheered Brian on. And Brian, when he was a couple years out of high school, um, he was diagnosed with cancer. Brian um, lost his eyesight, uh, and, and then a few months later, um, Brian went to be with the Lord. At 21 years old. And Brian, you know, growing up, I never, I mean, Brian was just a teenage boy. He was pretty, you know, he was into girls. He was into himself. Never thought of him as somebody who was very concerned about taking the gospel to the ends of the world, of magnifying the person of Jesus. He was just kind of a guy that was pretty self-absorbed, not different than most of us teenage guys at the time. But when Brian went through this process of cancer, God grabbed a hold of his life. And as the jar of clay continued to crack, the light started shining through more and more. Brian started thinking about others and not just himself. He started to write, but there was a younger kid at Cook Inlet named Danny, a little boy who was pretty sick. Brian could relate to Danny very well. And so Diane, uh, Brian started writing to Danny. And I actually found one of the letters that was published in one of the school um, papers. And this is what Brian said to Danny. He said, Dear Danny, you've already heard that I was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 21, which flipped my life upside down. The doctors in Alaska gave me no chance, and I was immediately flown to Oklahoma City. During this time, the only thing that gave me comfort was trusting God and knowing that he would be with me as I went through this. While I was in the hospital, I could feel God working in me. In your letter, you mentioned that you might be having surgery on your ear in February. I'll be praying for you during this time and asking God to give you strength the way he has strengthened me. My power is made perfect in weakness. A month ago, I lost my eyesight, which I thought was a bad thing and that God was punishing me for some reason. But now I realize that he has another plan for me. I feel that God has called me to be an evangelist. Another weak clay pot that cannot see that God is shining his light through. 
And that is memorial. Brian's dad, he read some statements that Brian had made. There was one in particular that's never really left me. And Brian said this. He said, if one person comes to Christ because of my attitude during this illness, then it will be worth it. And that's one of the reasons that I share that with you this morning. It's in hope that one person, because of Brian's attitude during that illness, might come to know Christ. God's power being made perfect in Brian's weakness. The light shining through his cracks. Brian hoped that out of his death, life would come for others. There is no bigger hero in my book. John MacArthur said it this way. He said, I don't know about you, but I want to get to the end of myself. I want to get crushed down until there's no more John MacArthur left and it's, and it's all God. Is, is that our heart attitude? That I, want, I don't want this life to be about me anymore. I want this to be all about him. That people would only see him in me. And here's the, here's the beautiful thing. This is not some martyrdom where it's like, oh, it's all about God and I'm just kind of being used and thrown around like a rag doll. There is no greater satisfaction than to, for it to be all about him. And it's, and it's in that satisfaction in who he is and that glorification of who he is that we find our greatest contentment. It is losing your life to find it and to save it. Beautiful words by Walter Chalmers Smith. He said this, And all through life I see a cross where sons of God yield up their breath. There is no gain except by loss. There is no life except by death. There is no vision but by faith. No glory but in bearing shame. No justice but in taking blame. And that eternal Savior's claim be emptied now of right and name. This life is not about me. It's not about getting the name Justin out there to the ends of the world so they know how great I am. It is recognizing that I'm a weak, flawed pot that God wants to make his power made known and to shine his light through me. So to recap, lesson number one, it's about the treasure, not about the vessel. It's all about who God is and what he's given us, not the vehicle that he's using. Not about the manger, not about the clay pot. Number two, God allows his jars to be cracked but not broken. Pressed but not crushed. Why? Because that's how the light gets in. And number three, it's about the master, not the servant. Our life is for one purpose, to magnify Jesus as it glorifies God and loves other people. Ring the bells that still can ring. Each of us have a bell to ring. God has made each one of us and given us unique privilege and relationship and skill sets, but the most important thing he gave us was our weakness. Just forget your perfect offering. No one has it, no one will have it. The only perfect offering we have to offer is the lamb that was slain on our behalf. There is a crack in everything. All of us. There is none righteous, no, not one. That's how the light gets in. Father, we're cracked. We're flawed, we're sinful, we turned our backs on you, we spit on your face, we deserve nothing but your wrath. We are ordinary, mortal humans who you made and desired to have a relationship with, and we ran from you, but you provided a way back to you because of your love for us, and you sent your son 
You've shown his light in our hearts in these clay pots. Father, we're nothing in and of ourselves. We're not special. We're not significant. We have no value apart from the fact that we are loved by you, made by you, and forgiven by you through your Son. Father, I pray that we would be a people that would make it all about the treasure, that would make it all about the Master, that we would have one heart and one aim to magnify Jesus in and through our lives so the world would know him. And Father, like Brian, may our heart attitude be that if one person in our lives, if one person might know you through the attitude we have through this world, that it would all be worth it. Lord, may we see ourselves as crucified with you. This is not about us. That we would give our lives as an offering to you, cracked so that the light may get through to the world. We love you. We pray these things in the name of your Son, the light of this world. Amen.